aspect of his humanity is an, an important one for us to, uh, to understand and apply. It's not just a theological point that kind of hangs out there for theological nerds or something to consider. It has real meaning, uh, nitty-gritty meaning for us in every way and every day. And at the Christmas season, it's a, an appropriate time just to slow down and consider who Jesus is, and particularly His incarnation, who He is as a man. So that's what we'll be looking at. Today is a little different than normal. We'll be uh, in Luke 4:18 to 19 at one point, but we're going to kind of be in different places in uh, the Gospels and elsewhere so we can learn about Jesus as a man. Uh, to start, though, just a, a question and an idea. Um, have you ever noticed that people tend to identify with a given team, a sports team, uh, based on some connection with that team? So if you're a sports fan, um, and I think we have a lot of sports fans. This applies to you whether you're a sports fan or not. But um, let's say uh, you're watching the Super Bowl or the World Series on a given year, and your favorite team's not in it. Um, I'll keep my mouth shut about being a New England fan with that, because um, that rarely happens. Oops, I said it. Um, uh, we get, well, actually, we, we don't have to go through that as much as we used to. But say anyhow, you're watching and your favorite team's not there in the World Series or uh, the Super Bowl. And um, what do you do when you watch those games? If you do, right? Don't you usually try to find some connection with one of the teams to root for? Because you're not going to just watch the, watch the Super Bowl and think, well, I don't really care who wins. Usually we'll find a connection, right? in some way. And I don't know if you do this, but I usually look for something. Maybe, you know, it, it's the linemen on, the, on the, the Broncos, we'll say, for that year. Um, you went to college with or something like that, or they grew up two towns away from you. Or, or maybe you know the life story of one of the players in some way, and you've connected. Um, I think of Nate Solder, if you, if you know, uh, he's a tackle for the Patriots, and, and uh, he's a believer, and he has a child who's dealing with cancer right now. So if you know that, that, that connects me with him, and and the team, besides that I'm from New England. But we do that, don't we? We find these connections, we find these different stories. We tend to gravitate to those connections when we feel we can identify with somebody or something on that team. And then we end up cheering for that team, right? That's the team we want to win. And actually, we can be fervently you know, cheering for them just because of some connection. Well, imagine that it's the Super Bowl, and there's a young lady singing the national anthem for her first time, and you happen to know her. Uh, you know her, actually she grew up in the church. You saw her as a little girl when she could barely hold, hold a note. Trying to sing, learning to sing. You were involved with organizing her first children's cr Christmas choir. You watched her start to sing in the youth band. And then you watched her gr uh, grow in her skills and start singing on Sundays with the worship band. And then you watched her actually form a band with some of the youth in the church, uh, in a Christian band, but singing about a lot of different things. And they actually did well, and they, they went national with some of their albums. But you've watched her, we'll just call her Emily, uh, for the sake of having a name to identify her. You've watched her through the years, and now it's the Super Bowl, and she's singing the national anthem. How would you respond? How would you feel? I, I, I think you'd have a strong connection, right, to her, and to the Super Bowl, whether you, you are a football fan or not, you'd want to watch that uh, national anthem being sung. Why don't we feel that, I'm assuming we don't, when someone like Lady Gaga or Alicia Keys or Carrie Underwood or whoever it might be sings the national anthem? We don't feel that same level of connection, do we? We, we, we don't identify with them. 
we tend to look at those people as they're rock stars. They're, they're famous figures. And they're just doing their thing. And we, don't, we, don't, we might enjoy how they sing, but, but we don't connect with them in the same way we do with Emily. We don't identify with them. We connect with Emily because essentially we see that she's one of us. And there's a, a kindredness, a nearness to her in that. And for all those others, they're rock stars. Well, I tell this because I think we relate to Jesus sometimes like He's a rock star. That's Jesus. He's a rock star. And so we miss out on identifying with Him as human. We miss out on understanding that He's one of us. We fail to identify with Him in a close way. We fail to see that He is really human. He's one of us. And so what I want to do in this series in Advent is to look at Jesus as the man. And I want to do that with the goal that through that, as all truth works, there'll be application, there'll be effect, there'll be change. And what I would submit to you is that when we neglect the humanity of Jesus, we miss out on a lot. Probably two things I think are most important, and we're going to talk about this today. We miss out on fully trusting Him, fully knowing that He's our representative. He's one of us. And when He went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again, He did so not as a rock star, but as one of us. And there's something about getting that and identifying with Jesus that starts to make the atonement, the fact that He shed His blood and died for our sins, that He represented us fully, and the resurrection, that He rose again as a man risen from the grave. If If we don't get that, we fail to see that it's for us. And when we do get it, when we identify with Him as human, we realize, wow! He's one of us and He did this. And so, He's a perfect substitute, a complete substitute, a perfect representative for, for us, for me. And I can put all my hope in Him in His death and resurrection. The second part that we miss out on, so one part is enjoying fully the work of salvation, the work of the cross and, and the resurrection. And the second part is we fail to see Him as a real example that we can follow. He becomes the rock star. Nobody thinks they're going to be a rock star. So we just kind of, yeah, that's Jesus, not me. And we have less hope and exert less effort in becoming like Jesus as a result. So I believe that's what's behind some of the practical things behind this truth about His humanity. So so I want to dig into this in this series. And today, I want to look at this aspect of how Jesus lived. Because I think if you asked anybody, perhaps anyone here, probably me at some point as well, how did Jesus successfully live His life? How did He accomplish a holy life? And how did He accomplish His mission? What, what was it that made uh, Jesus successful? I think most of us would say, well, He's God! Right? And we'd be completely right in saying that. But we would credit His, his miracles, His holiness, His faithfulness on the cross, uh, His resurrection, and we would credit everything to His divinity and really very little to His humanity. Often, like, well, well, of course, yes, we know He had to sleep. We know He had to eat. You know, uh, we know that. He's human in that way. But that's about it often, you know, as far as the inventory of His humanity. And what I want to submit to you is the Gospels teach us, the Bible teaches us that He is fully human and it's much deeper than we have previously realized. And I want to take time today to actually look at the life of Jesus, how He accomplished His life and mission, And I want to show that predominantly He did it all as a man. Not leaning on His divinity. uh, Not kind of taking shortcuts with that, but as a man. Certainly there are aspects 
that are clearly divine. But I want to look at Jesus the man. I want to look at three ways that He expressed His humanity. One is that He was dependent on the Holy Spirit. Two, He was dependent on His Heavenly Father. And three, He was dependent on the Word. So we're just going to march through God's Word looking at that. We'll look at a number of verses. Different than our normal Sundays, usually we camp out on one passage. But in order to address this important topic, we'll have to move through Scripture. But let's pray. Uh, Let's pray that the Lord would speak to us, um, would make Himself known, uh, would, as if He were here and He is indeed here, He would speak to us and tell us about Himself as a man that we might be changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. Your Word uh, is sufficient and Spirit of God, thank You that You dwell here with us and amongst us. And thank You, Lord, uh, that we can encounter You. And we want to see You, Jesus, in all Your glory. We want to see You in Your humanity. We want to be changed by You. So we ask You, Lord, to speak to us. And I ask You to help me, Lord, to serve You, to serve Your people, and You would glorify Your name. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So first point, Jesus the man was dependent on the Holy Spirit. I think you have notes to follow along if you'd like. Um, I want to submit to you that Jesus didn't take any shortcuts in His humanity. He didn't take the shortcut of simply asserting His divinity and and using His divine prerogatives to accomplish his, His work as Messiah. But instead, from beginning to end, He actively depended on the presence and power of God the Holy Spirit. He depended on God the Holy Spirit to lead him in every aspect of faith and obedience, the things that humans are called to do, and in the necessary aspects of his mission as Savior and King. That he depended on the Holy Spirit for all of his life and mission. Now, the scripture is full of truth behind this. First, his dependence on the Holy Spirit. He, it's prophesied before he came, long before he came, as, as Mike read earlier. Uh, that in Isaiah chapter 11, another section, speaks of Jesus. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Speaking of Jesus. And then verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Isaiah 11. So it speaks of Jesus as being one who is, is anointed, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. That His ministry, His work as Messiah is Spirit-empowered. And it's Spirit-dependent as well. Now, He Himself understood this. So in Luke chapter 4, as He visits His hometown in Nazareth, He picks out the scroll from Isaiah. And He reads to them Isaiah 61. And it's recorded in Luke saying, And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom, He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of a All in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, Isaiah 61 predicted he would be full of the Holy Spirit, anointed, and that's what would empower him in ministry. The scriptures go on. John chapter 3, verse 34, it says, For whom he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So, Jesus uttered the words of God 
How? Because he experienced the Holy Spirit. Now, it's without measure. So he experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his life and mission without measure. And none of us uh, in this present life are going to experience it at that level. So we don't, maybe we don't experience the same degree of the Holy Spirit, but we experience as believers the same Holy Spirit. So we as well are to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, Matthew chapter 12, it speaks of the miracles and, and teaches us about this. It says in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9, He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man there was there with a withered hand. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. In verse 17, this starts a controversy. Verse 17, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with, beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him. But when the Pharisees, verse 24, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So there's this controversy. The Pharisees are saying, you know, he does these miracles by Satan, by the devil. That's how he does it. And so Jesus counters their argument. And he says in verse 27, If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How does Jesus cast out demons? Because He's God in the flesh? He's the Son of God? Well, He is that. But is that how He says He casts out demons? By the Spirit of God. And so you see this pattern in Jesus' ministry of His dependence on the Holy Spirit. And predominantly, He does His miracles and lives His life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he needed the Spirit of God in His humanity to fill Him, to anoint Him, to speak to Him, to lead Him, to use Him. So, when Peter is reflecting on the life of Jesus to Cornelius later on, there's this guy Cornelius. He's a, a Roman soldier. He doesn't know the Lord. He's a God-fearing man. And so Peter goes to meet him on behalf of the Lord. It's a, it's a big deal and what God does and how that changes the course of Christianity. So in Acts chapter 10, though, as Peter uh, relays to Cornelius and his household about Jesus, he says this in verse 37, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. So Peter, who knows that he's the Christ, the Son of God, he's professed that himself, says Jesus did all these things how? By the Holy Spirit. And the power of God. God was with Him. Now, it's even more than that, so you might think, well, of course, yeah, I've seen those on ministry, but actually... Even for His suffering and death, His faithfulness on the cross was by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was dependent on the Spirit of God even in His suffering. So it says in Hebrews 9 about Jesus, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it's speaking here about the wonderful blessing and promises we have in Christ's blood shed for us on the cross for forgiveness and, and, and all that comes with that. But I want to look at how it connects the Spirit to Jesus. And it says, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God. Isn't that interesting? 
How did Jesus offer Himself on the cross? In, in certainly His whole life being a holy life that was offered in replacement and substitution for us. But how did He offer? How did He endure the cross? How did He go through all that? By the Spirit of God. He as a man needed the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't stop there though. Romans 8 tells us, quote, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus, the Spirit of God is involved in His resurrection as well. The power of His resurrection is in the Spirit of God. So from beginning to end throughout His humanity, his whole life here on earth, he was dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I know I just threw a ton of verses in. You might, your mind may be spinning, thinking, okay, wow, never thought of it that way. Um, I just encourage you to go back and look at the Scriptures. I also want to give you some sense that, you're, that uh, I'm not coming up with some new doctrine. Uh, if a pastor comes up with a new doctrine, you probably need to be concerned. This is an old doctrine. It's in the Scripture itself, Right? There also are many faithful teachers in the history of the church who have taught on this. So John Owens, John Owen, uh, R.A. Torrey, Gerald Hawthorne, Bruce Ware, Klaus Isler, those are some contemporaries, the latter ones, have taught the same thing. That, that Jesus expressed His humanity by being dependent on the Holy Spirit. In order for Him to be fully human, He can't cheat and just operate out of His divinity. He, remember we talked about last week, He le lets go of those divine prerogatives. He doesn't grasp His divine prerogatives. He lets them go to be a servant. To be a human. To be a real human. A real human just like us. A real human who needs the Spirit of God to empower Him and to lead Him. Guys, this is really good news for us. Really good news because it means that Jesus took the same test with the same tools that we have. If life is a math test that you have to do longhand on paper, Jesus did not use a calculator. He didn't cheat on the math test. Now, He, in a sense, had that ability. He's God in the flesh. But He put aside the calculator, let's, let's say, to take the test just like you and I have to take the tests. And there's good news in that, that He got a perfect score. He got an A-plus on His tests as the faithful one. As a man, as a human, He got an A-plus. And even better news, he says, I want to exchange my paper for yours. Your F minus. I'll take that. And I'll take the hit for that. And I want to give you my A plus as a man. That's good news. That's, that's the wonderful exchange of the gospel. That's the truth grounded in his humanity. That he didn't cheat. He took the test. It's a legitimate test. It's a passing, perfect grade that is yours simply through faith. Simply saying, I give up my F minus. I don't who why should I keep my F minus grade? That's that's silly. Maybe it's pride, but because I, I did it. Well, you're in trouble, I'm in trouble if that's if that's our viewpoint. He says, I want to offer you this. You simply need to believe in me, my perfect life, my life given for you on the cross, my resurrection for your future life. And just say, I want you, Jesus, I don't want my way. Good news based on his humanity. It's good news too because it, it propels us in following His example, guys. We're to read these Scriptures and not just think, wow, Jesus did such a great job walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're to say, He as a man depend on the Holy Spirit and we as humans, as men and women, are to do the same. Scripture again and again calls us to follow the example of Christ. 
If you don't get His humanity, it's going to be hard for you to understand how can I possibly do that. But we can follow His example. We can depend on the ministry of the Spirit. And let me tell you, the Spirit of God is active among you guys, among His people. He's in each and every genuine believer. He's active with us Sunday after Sunday. And sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't recognize it. I could take time probably right now just to go through the people here that I know and talk about how God the Spirit is active in your life. One thing that's really I love doing is helping people recognize His activity. And in one particular area, uh, I think we can keep on growing in recognition, and that is in the area of, of prophecy, prophecy, New Testament prophecy. We as a church believe that, that that gift is for today. It's to be exercised according to Scripture. It's to edify. It's not declarative. It's not authoritative. It's not like Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy is narrowly given and definitive. It's authoritative. So when it says the prophet says this is the Lord's Word, it is indeed. And you know what? If that prophet gets it wrong, they'll be put to death. New Testament, all the Scriptures that go with that, God changes how He does that. The New Testament alternative or uh, comparison to the Old Testament prophet is the New Testament apostle. They're the ones who speak the truth from the Lord and write Scripture. But the gift of prophecy is given broadly. It's given in a sense to every believer. Joel 2, Acts 2. Paul tells the Corinthians he wants, you, he wants them all to prophesy. This was a messed up church. If New Testament prophecy is operating like Old Testament prophecy, you don't tell that church, we want you all to prophesy because that creates craziness. There's a different, it's to be tested. It has its place. It's subjective. It's partial. But it's broad. And so we, we practice that here and it's under the Word of God and under the authorities God has given us. It's not the Word. It's just God basically through the Spirit pointing out truth to us, applying His Word to us. Anyhow, all that to say, that gift is given very broadly. And I don't think we often recognize it. And I love when I'm in a small group, and I taught a class, and I did this as well, and we have a time to pray for somebody in need. And as typical in our small groups, we'll encourage people to read the Word if they have a sense of what God would share, to share it. Uh, and often that's what goes on. But often there's silence. There's maybe one person shares something. And I love when I have the opportunity to do this just to say, okay guys, let's debrief after that. When we were praying for you know, John Smith here about his job situation, did you have any Scripture come to mind? Or any thought that came to your head? And what will often happen is people will say, yeah, I actually had this Scripture. And I've seen this happen where if that's being done aloud, all of a sudden John Smith said, I read that in my quiet time this morning. I've been praying that for my job. And the person who had the Scripture was like, Whoa, I didn't realize that. They just thought it, you know, just it was a passing thought and you know, not me. That's the Spirit of God likely speaking to you. When, now, when it's the Word and it's faithfully given, you can be entirely confident that it's the Spirit of God. But also, I've had people say, well, I had this picture, you know, and I'm just making this up. I had a picture of, of somebody you know, out in a field and, and there's a snowstorm blowing through or something like that. And, you know, again, just making that up. And then John Smith says, whoa, you know, that... Two, three years ago, I got lost in a blizzard and I've been anxious ever since. Or something. Those things happen all the time. Um, and it's from people that may not even believe that prophecy is for today. Because I think you talk to any believer, they say they get those sort of things. That's the Spirit of God working through you in a way just like Jesus. So I hope that helps. And I hope that helps us have a line of people ready to share on every Sunday. Because that's we practice time after our third song. We make room for this. And that comes out of this truth of Jesus' humanity walking in the Spirit of God. We can be encouraged that we too can walk in Spirit power and contribute our gifts, whether they be prophecy or whatever they, they might be that God has given us. Second point, Jesus the man was dependent on the Father. We see this as well all throughout Scripture. And it goes right hand in glove with being dependent on the Holy Spirit. 
Because the Spirit wants to make the Father known, and the Son as well. Uh, Christ in His ascended state. He wants to make the Gospel known. So the Spirit's job is to make the Father known. We see that in Scripture. Romans chapter 8 connects them. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Spirit's ministry is to work in our lives that we might cry out to the Father, Abba, Father. And so these are connected and they're certainly connected in the life of Jesus. Jesus walked as a man dependent on His Father. John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus had this ongoing relationship with the Father and He did His ministry from the instructions of the Father. He had fellowship with the Father through the Holy Spirit. And so He heard God's voice. Now, He did that in a perfect way. But He didn't just tap into His divinity to know everything. He walked as a man in fellowship with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He did what He saw the Father doing. He interacted with Him in many ways, and sometimes that became obvious to His disciples. John chapter 12, He says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus had this fellowship with His Father throughout. Later on, John chapter 12 says, For I have not spoken of my own but the Father who sent me has Himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that His commandment is eternal life. What I say therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Interesting, isn't it? Think through it. He, this is, Jesus is God. Fully God. In the Trinity, all three members are fully God together. And there's no diminished person of the Trinity. So everything each one knows, they all know. And they all share those attributes. All right? There's different... Uh, things they choose to do in their function together in partnership. But so, so Jesus is God and has, as the Son of God, would have full fellowship with the Father and the Spirit uninterrupted. But He lets go of that divine prerogative to be a man and be dependent on the Spirit of God and dependent on the Father's voice. And He does His ministry out of that. Interesting in John 16 what He says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Wow. All his disciples are going to scatter. He's going to be by himself, but he says this, Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus grounded his life on his relationship with his heavenly Father. And he sought to shepherd his souls to, to stay close, and he did faithfully stay close. So he instructs us in John 15, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Part of his fellowship with the Father and staying close to the Father is believing and obeying the Father, keeping holy in His life, walking in His ways. And he maintained his fellowship with the Father through His obedience. That still works the same for us, by the way. Yes, indeed, we're saved by grace. We're children of God by grace alone. But that grace alone leads us into this new relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our experience 
uh, of the fatherhood of God is connected to staying close to Him through obedience. Well, there's other Scriptures we could look at more, and I encourage you to do that. But Jesus depended on His heavenly Father living as a man. He needed to be close to the Father. And really, there's nothing better for us than to be close to the Father. We're made to be close to God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son as well, but to have a relationship with God the Father, living in His love, receiving it, depending on it, just like Jesus did, standing on it when all others have abandoned us, the Father has not left us and will never leave us. He is our rock and our strength. To live in His love, to to belong, to remember that we are part of His family, we are beloved, to stay close to, to Him. And those things are all ours in Christ through simple faith. Putting our faith in Christ. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we turn away from self and sin to Christ. We are part of the family. And He is our Father at that moment. And, and the same sort of relationship Jesus had as described in the Gospels with His Father is the relationship we have as adopted sons and daughters. You are not a second class son or daughter. You are right alongside Jesus. Now, you're not Jesus, but you're alongside Him as a brother or sister beloved of the Father, to have that same sort of relationship that Jesus had. So looking through His dependency on the Father, again, helps us, doesn't it? He lived just like us. I can follow His example. I can follow His example in dependency on the Father and in fellowship with the Father in the same way. And to to live in the love of the Father. Brothers and sisters, you need the love of the Father. You need to know that you're adopted, you're chosen as a son or daughter. That you're safe and secure in His amazing grace. Uh, Author Lee Strobel tells the story of a Korean-American girl who was abandoned by her parents shortly after the Korean War and was living a brutal life on the streets. She was ostracized for being a half-breed. Finally, at nine years old, she was taken in by an orphanage. She was malnourished, only about 30 pounds. Full of scars and boils, lice in her hair, worms in her stomach. She came to that orphanage and within a few days they tasked her with preparing some baby boys that were candidates for adoption. That there was an American couple coming to adopt the boy. So her job was to get them ready and to be there when they met the children. She recalls the, the, the man, this giant of a man in her eyes who came with his wife took time to lift up every single boy. And she recalls him just crying, the couple crying as they lifted up each boy, just wishing that somehow they could take them all home. And then as that was going on, she's watching, the husband saw her out of the corner of his eye. And he came over to her, and he put his great big hand on her face and said, we choose her. Guys, the same Father who loved Jesus and walked so closely with Him is through Christ our Father. And He puts His big hand on your face in Christ, even with your imperfections and your sins and struggles, and He says, I choose you. You are my son or daughter. This is why this is in Scripture that we would follow Christ and know that this sort of relationship is for us as well. Finally, Jesus the man was dependent on the Word of God. So dependent on the Father, the Holy Spirit, dependent on the Father, dependent on the Word. Um, now Jesus is the Word incarnate, right? He's the fullness of the Word. 
He's the one who's the instrument of the Word being brought. Right? He's, he's the Word of God alive. Why would He be dependent on the Word? Because He chose to live as a man. And as a man, He had to read the Bible. He had to study the Bible. He had to memorize the Bible. He had to pray through the Bible. He had to learn how to apply the Bible. That's very clear in Scripture. We see it actually in Luke. Luke points out the development of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. I think we have the verses. Good, they're there to show. And you can see actually just the, the progress of Christ. Um, it says in verse 40, "...and the child, speaking of Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him." Jumping down to verse 46. So, Christ is a young, a young man at this point. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And then in Luke 2.52, says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, this isn't an explicit example of how he depended on the word. It's implicit, but I, I think I can lead you to how we understand that this is Jesus being dependent on the word. How does a young person grow in wisdom? How does it only happen? They start to interact with God's revelation. So whether it's creation, just the things that He's made for everyone to see, but more importantly, the Word of God, right? The Word of God is where we gain most important sort of wisdom. So that's how we grow in wisdom through the Word of God. So Jesus is growing in wisdom, and in this passage, if you could keep that passage up, in this passage, we see His encounter with teachers in the temple. Uh, yearly, the, the great teachers would go out and make themselves available at the temple. So this is like Gamaliel, uh, Caiaphas, these, these big shots. And Jesus, that's the people Jesus is interacting with most likely. And so we see this interaction where He's asking them questions. What would they have been talking about? The Word of God, right? The Bible. We know historically that's how they lived their lives. That's how they thought. It was with God's Word, as we should as well. And so he's there interacting over the Bible, over truth with them. And then it's bookended with growing in wisdom on both sides. So Jesus depended on the Word of God to grow in wisdom. He had to do the same sorts of things we have to do. He had to read it. He had to listen to it. He had to memorize it. He had to pray it. He had to seek by faith to obey it. And, that, and he did indeed obey the Word of God. Elsewhere in Scripture we see the same thing. When he faces temptation in the desert, he faces temptation by the devil himself. It's a, a, a second act of the original temptation in the garden by Adam, the first man. Now the second man, the ultimate human being, Jesus Christ, is facing the same sort of thing. He's facing temptation. Adam was told, uh, you need to obey my word. Don't eat of the tree. Now he disobeyed the word. So Jesus in his temptation, how does he go about dealing with the temptation? Matthew 4 says over and over again, it is written. Matthew 4.4, 4, he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he resisted that temptation with the word. There's another temptation. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan had tempted him to make, he was hungry, to make bread out of stones. Jesus, uh, Satan had tempted him to throw himself down and prove that God loved him and he was the Messiah. So he shared that second verse. And then thirdly, he says, If you will worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So Jesus' ministry is dependent on the Word. In His temptation and throughout, He is living by the Word. He was informed by the Word. I would submit He even came to understand who He was as Messiah and His humanity by the Word of God. 
Now, he had an extraordinary relationship, of course, and he's fully divine. But he walked as a man. He had to learn. He had to grow like all young people do. He had to study the Word and, and grow. And so he did that throughout his life. And then, of course, at the end of his life, after he had died for sin and rose again on the third day, he's walking along a road and there's some disciples there. They don't know who he is. And, and, and let's read about what happens. Verse 15 of Luke 24, While they were walking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And then verse 25, And He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So Jesus is a Word-saturated human being. He's dependent on the Word. He's defined Himself by the Word. And He's wanting these disciples to understand that that's where they come to understand the Gospel through the Word. Ultimately, it's where they come to understand Jesus because Jesus is the center of the Scriptures. But it's interesting to note, this is, this is the resurrected Son of God. Fully God, fully man. He didn't, in a sense, need to bring them back to Scripture. He could just speak on His own authority. Right? He's God. But what does He do? He brings the disciples back to the Scripture. This is, this is where we look. This is where we find truth. This is where we define things. This is where we understand Jesus in the Gospel. He did that as a man. He brought them to the Scriptures. And He did that throughout His life. He was dependent on the Word of God. He chose to be dependent in this way, a very human way. And He modeled that for His followers. And that's part of what's going on in Luke 24. It's remarkable to read through and think about some of these things. And to realize that He was dependent on the Word of God and His humanity. Now, real quick, by the way, not everything about Jesus worked this way. There were some things Jesus did that were clearly an aspect of His divinity. Where He expressed His divinity. And so to say that it was only this way would be an error, I believe. Uh, four different examples. I think we have this to show that um, that point this way, clear. First, Jesus forgave sins. As a man, He could not forgive sins. Only as God. So He forgave sins. Jesus was transfigured. On the Mount of Transfiguration, He went and, and His glory, His eternal glory was shown in that moment. So that's the divine Son of God making Himself known to His disciples at that point. In John 17, He's praying to the Father. He's interacting with the Father. He's yearning for that pre-existent glory. So He's aware of His divinity, that He was with the Father from eternity, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And He yearns for that glory. I want to be there and behold and be with you. And I want to show all my friends and followers that same glory. So He was tapping into His divinity there, of course. And then even in, in many of His miracles, though, through the means of the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, He actually was demonstrating His complete reign as God the Son over storms, sickness, spirits, hunger, sin, and death. So there's, there's divinity expressed in, in those things. But predominantly, he lived his life and accomplished his mission through normal human means. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. Dependence on a relationship with the Father. Dependence on the Word of God. That same amazing Word of God that Jesus used is right here, guys. And you hold it in your hands. The same thing that He fed on and defined Him and guided Him and allowed Him to do what He was called to do, you have in your hand. You have in, in the Scripture. 
It's wonderful. It should be encouraging to know that He limited Himself to the same means that we have. The Bible. The Holy Spirit and the Father. You have the Bible. You have God's Word right here. Uh, just last night, actually, we, uh, we watched the uh, Force Awakens um, with uh, the Star Wars the number 7 in preparation for number 8 if you're a Star Wars fan. Sorry if you're not. Any Star Wars fans here? Alright. Oh, good. I'm in good company. <laughs> Um, so we watched it, and, and if you know the story, you know that uh, a big deal in the storyline is a lightsaber, right? It's lightsabers, these, these little things that look like flashlights, actually. Uh, they turn into you know, lightsabers. That's a big deal. And in the storyline, uh, there's this lightsaber that kind of is important. It's uh, originally Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber. Became, he became Darth Vader, and then uh, Luke had it. It got lost and so forth. Um, and so the lightsaber is a big deal in the, in the storyline. And the lightsaber gets lost and in episode 7, this character Rey encounters the lightsaber and we don't know if she's a Skywalker or not yet. Um, but somehow she connects with the lightsaber, right? And that's a big deal now. And she travels to uh, the coast of Ireland. Uh, actually, it's another planet. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and brings that lightsaber to Luke. And that's the storyline. It's the lightsaber. It's the lightsaber. Anakin's lightsaber. Luke's lightsaber. It's a big deal. Well, guys, we have something way better than a lightsaber. The Word of God. And this is Jesus' lightsaber you hold in your hand. You get to wield His lightsaber. You get to wield the same thing for your own life. Certainly, we need it for ourselves first. But as we minister and as we walk, you get to know this Word. And so, be encouraged by that. And be eager to dig into God's Word, to be a faithful Padawan, and to memorize, to read, to study, and to share His Word. Well, I hope this has helped you as the band comes up and we conclude. I hope this has helped you grasp who Jesus is. And my desire is to inform you to bring transformation by God's grace. So I hope you've been informed, but I hope also you've encountered a sense of the Lord speaking to you about Himself. So as the van comes up and as we prepare to transition to communion, I just want to encourage you to consider three possible applications. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, the, the God-man, fully human, fully divine, and you hear Him calling you, and that call can just be a simple clarity of mind that you're having right now. Now's the time just to say, Jesus, forgive me. I trust You. I want to follow You. Just that simple response in faith. That would be a wonderful application. And if you were in that place or would like to pray with someone else, talk to Pastor Mike or me. I'd love to pray with you. If you already prayed on your own, you don't need to pray with others. You can just respond right where you are. I'd love to hear that. Second category uh, would be people who need to realize the, that the Lord is offering them great reason for full, full trust. And maybe you just need to talk to the Lord. Forgive me for not trusting you. Thank you for your word. I want to trust you with everything. Because I know you're one of us and you were faithful and victorious. Third category is maybe you've kind of given up on emulating Christ. You're just taking the easy road. You know, we can't take that too seriously. Jesus is a spiritual rock star. We're not. So I'm just going to live in the fact that I'm forgiveness and never, forgiven and never hope for growth in Christ. I trust that the Word of God is spurring you on. God Himself is calling you to, to commit to a fresh effort by grace to become like Jesus. So just take a minute or so. Close your eyes.
Just talk to God about what he's calling you to do in response to his word, and then we'll transition.